Tandem Talk is a quarterly financial podcast sharing history, insight, and market commentary from Tandem's investment team. This podcast was created to give our clients and partners an opportunity to eavesdrop on the team's conversations. It gives the listener a way to hear from our team, understand our thought process and investment philosophy, and get to know a little bit more about us. Since we can't have you all in our office, we thought we would take our office to the listener and give you a seat at the table. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we do creating Tandem Talk. We invite you to join the conversation. Ask us a question by emailing us at information at tandemadvisors.com or suggest a topic for us to cover on our next episode. And now we turn you over to Tandem's investment team of John Carew, Billy Little, Ben Carew, and Jordan Watson. You're listening to Tandem Talk. Welcome listeners to Tandem Talk 10. It's hard to believe we've been doing this for two and a half years, but here we are in the fourth quarter of 2022. This is John Carew. I am joined, as always, by the investment team, Billy Little. Hello, everyone. Ben Carew. Hey, how's it going? And Jordan Watson. Hey, everyone. So we're going to share with you some random thoughts and hopefully some cogent ones as well. Um, Guys, I think we ought to start off by just sort of saying what we've been hearing, the types of questions we've been getting, and sort of filter that down into into what's interesting and applicable to what we do. Does that sound reasonable? Sounds good. Um, I've been asked a whole bunch just in general about, you know, 2022 has been a tough year for most investors. Um, by the time this podcast airs on Apple Podcast. Um, we will be past the midterms. And so uh, I've gotten a lot of questions about the election. I've gotten a lot of questions about what we think 2023 might look like. I've gotten fewer questions recently about inflation and interest rates and more just sort of market generalities. What what about you guys? What are you hearing? I think that's kind of interesting that you're hearing less about interest rates these days, because I feel like we could probably do an entire podcast even still. Well, I could what... just be hearing from uninformed people. One never knows. <laughs> well, I also think, but, you know, interest rates of what would have driven the conversation in the narrative for the past year. Um, and people might be just tired of it. They want to move on. What's today's news? What, what narrative can you spin on the market to today? And I think, I think interest rates have been so front and center. Now it's time to move to something else. Personally, I think interest rates are still what, what's going to drive everything, right? Yeah, I was going to say that. I think that you're probably right that you're hearing about it less because of fatigue. Exactly. I'm hearing about it, right? But is the dollar and interest rates not still just firmly in the driver's seat for Abs- everything that's absolutely. going on in the stock market? Absolutely. So uh, this may be splitting hairs or too fine a point to make, but are we talking about, when we talk about interest rates and the dollar, are we talking about Fed policy or the market's expectation of future things. Who is driving this bus? Is it is it the bond market or is it the Fed? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, the Fed has clearly come out and said that they're not they don't have any plans on letting up with restrictive policy any time in the near future. I mean, they've made it well known that the mistakes that happened in the seventies will not happen again by by implementing restrictive policy, backing off, 
then inflation becoming entrenched, having to go to an even more restrictive policy, they want to they want to kind of squash it. You saw that so really come out to play during the Fed, the most recent Fed meeting in November, right? I mean, the market's initial take was that it was dovish because they thought that they were going to be hiking less aggressively in the future. And what did Powell do when he came mm-hmm. out during his presser? I mean, he completely stomped all over that notion, right? And I think that that was actually the intraday sell-off mm-hmm. during that day. I mean, I think after the presser, markets were up one. And by the end of the day, closed down two and a half. So that three and a half percent sell-off was the worst Fed-induced sell-off since like 94 or something crazy like that. Wow. Yeah, and in that presser, Jay Powell went as far as basically saying that the risk is not that they over-tighten. The risk is that they don't tighten enough and they can't tame inflation. And he even went as far as saying that they have tools in their toolkit to actually help shore up the economy if they do over-tighten. And if the unemployment rate does rise higher than they expect, they can then help with the tools that they have, right? But they are worried about... That's frightening. They are worried about uh, not tightening enough, if you will. So I want to just go back quickly, if I may. Um, to something that Billy said. You said, Billy, I'm paraphrasing because I didn't write it down, but basically that Jay Powell was not going to let what happened in the 70s happen again. I'm the only person in this room that remembers the 70s. Um, I suspect that... I think you that, were the only person alive in the 70s I, as well. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. <laughs> um, but I suspect that may be true for a lot of our listeners as well. So, Billy, when you say not let what happened in the 70s happen again. Can you just give some color to that? When you look at interest rate policy in the 70s, they tightened significantly early and mid-70s, and then they like they came back down. Um, and I don't know the, the numbers off the top of my head, but um, when you look at it, it was, it was rather fascinating going back and looking at the steps that were taken by the Fed. I mean, interest rates would go up, between between meetings, eight percent, ten percent, twelve percent, drop back down to eight percent, go up to ten percent, drop to six percent, go up to twelve percent, fourteen percent, and it was this these drastic changes in monetary policy. And I think what what has been learned from that is to is to not let off until inflation has been completely completely stomped out. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what Volcker did was take it to a point. Where inflation was no more. Volcker actually started targeting rates, and I think prior to a, that mm-hmm. they were targeting M1 and M2, mm-hmm. right? Correct. I think and that you're which, right. That, which, that was a pretty dramatic change in Fed it policy was. in terms of what they were actually targeting. Yeah. And, and when you look at these 75 basis point rate hikes, like they are massive. But to your point, Billy, Volcker would raise rates by over 100 bips on a Sunday in between meetings, right? So the policy is much different now. It's much different, but it's also they have to tame the beast that they've created. Right. I mean, we're we're all now conditioned to any any little tremor in the market or the economy. It's what is the Fed going to do? With how much it, right? how They'll much blank. money Wait, is going to be thrown at this problem? And that's what we've been trained for since the financial crisis. Do mm-hmm. you think that's still do you think that's still true though? I mean, look overseas at what just happened, right? Let's trust came to power, started talking about tax cuts and all of those things. I mean, easing, right? That's what she was talking about. And the bond market forced her out in 45 days. So <laughs> is the market still conditioned to do that? Or? I think the market is 
is conditioned for that. And Powell, to his credit, is trying to, with words and actions, is, is trying to get the market away from that. Do you think the market is starting to do that, is starting to lose some of that conditioning some? I think so. I think he's trying really hard. And on days where the market's up one and finishes down two or down three and Mm -hmm. it'd be the largest swing on a Fed day, I think he's, in his eyes, he's succeeding, right? Right. I mean, that's... And to your point, Ben, the UK, the gilt market didn't really calm down until the BOE actually stepped in and, and basically shored up markets, right? They told pension funds that you have, what, three days to de-risk. Uh, pension so, funds wanted more time, though. Right. And they said, yeah. tough. I think you still saw the central bank step in and provide support to markets. Fair enough. So. You'll, you'll see it again. You'll see the Fed <laughs> step back in. I mean, it will happen. But in the meantime, they need to crush the narrative of, hey, well, we're George here Well, George has to told us that the Fed's toolbox includes things to repair the economy once they've crushed it. Yeah, they've got a big toolbox. <laughs> I, I, I personally, Ben, um, to answer the question that was not posed to me, I think the market is skeptical. I think that Fed speak has to be very harsh and dramatic because they have such a long history now of being accommodative, right? Um the Federal Reserve, since um, Greenspan, uh, has been, you know, foot on the gas. Oh, the market blips. Let's let's help it. And Powell has to tell us they're not going to do that now. The question still remains: If it gets ugly, will they stick to their discipline? And I'm on record here as wrongly suggesting that the Fed would blink before we got to this point. We've now had four 75 basis point hikes. I've never seen anything like that in my lifetime. I think said another way, the Fed is fighting for their credibility once more. Yeah. They've lost their credibility over the past decade. And here we still are debating their credibility as as they've been trying to prove it over the past year. Well said. But I think as this relates to the market and the economy, um, Curiously, much of the economy has remained extremely strong, right? In spite of rising rates and supply chain issues, we're still seeing, not not to the extent that we had before, but I think earnings have still been largely uh, above expectation. Please chime in if, if um, I have that wrong. They're they're above ex they're above cut expectations, and they're still coming down. And so. they're still coming down. So Q3 is running at 2.3% growth. Year over year? Year over year. Uh, year over year growth. And we were coming into this quarter on June 30th. That estimate was around 9% for Q3. Um, coming into the quarter, I think it was closer to probably 5%, 4 or 5%. So we were even coming underneath that. Um, and for Q4, we're now running at minus, I think, 1.3, 1.5%, whereas of just a few months ago, that was also at a positive 9% growth. So estimates have been cut. 2023 estimates are down to 230 a share, um, whereas they peaked on 630 at around 250. So they're coming down. They're actually coming down rather, 
2023 is still forecast for positive growth, correct? Correct, because well, it, it's estimated well. to be 220 for this year, so, so then, it's getting close. We're I talking think. about estimates, earnings estimates, and not GDP, but but correct. but this sort of poses an interesting question, or at least interesting to me. Um, so for the first two quarters, we had negative GDP, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. That's on a, on a real rate. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's the classic definition of a recession. GDP for Q3 three is forecasted to be positive. So quick recession behind us or recession growth followed by recession again? What yeah, think, what do we think and what does the market expect? I think that you definitely saw a technical recession. We had two consecutive quarters of negative real GDP growth. Then it is expected that I think 2.6% growth rate in, in Q3. But I think the market is forecasting and based on sentiment and surveys that we'll likely see a double dip recession with a short technical recession followed by a real recession in the real economy in mid to late next year with an ensuing earnings recession right to uh billy's credit i can't remember if it was in something that you wrote if it was in the podcast or even if it was just in passing in the office but i remember when covid the summer right after covid summer of 20 i think it was Billy, you were sort of talking about what you thought the economy would look like going forward, and you talked about quarters of negative growth with quarters that rebounded back to positive growth, back to quarters of negative growth, and that's sort of what we're talking about right now, right? This sort of choppiness in the economy. And I would just point out to all of our listeners, if they want to benefit from this insightfulness, just read Observations. Billy writes that piece monthly, and he does um, have a lot of good commentary there. And, and you're right, he did see this coming. And Billy was also the first person I heard mention stagflation mm-hmm. since Gerald Ford was president. I get a lot of stuff wrong, too. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about that. <laughs> so um, we're looking at earnings growth declining. We're looking at the possibility of uh, a more natural recession. Um, I would like to say at this point, before I turn it over to you three, to comment what that looks like to us um, and the landscape as we see it, I would just like to point out to everyone in listener land that the last couple of recessions have truly been devastating, right? We had the tech bubble burst in 2000. The market gave up a quarter of its value, began to find footing, and then the Twin Towers fell, and the market ended up losing half of its value, and the economy stopped for a while after the Twin Towers fell. It was a deep and lengthy recession. The financial crisis was a deep and lengthy recession where the market lost half of its value again. Not every recession is like that. Don't fall victim to recency, right? Recessions don't have to be catastrophic. The S&P at its worst is was down 25, 26%. Mm-hmm. That's painful, I guess, for some of you out there, but I would point out to everyone, unless you just started investing recently, you're not down. You, you're down for the year, but you're not down. This market leading up to 2022 was fantastic. I mean, three-year returns are still among the best we've seen 
You're talking about the market. The market, right. not tandem. The market. Thank you for the clarification. So I just want to point out that recessions do not spell doom, and an S and P down twenty five percent has to be taken into perspective. That so okay, this year has not been good, but the last two, three, four, five years have still been really good. So I just want to throw that out as some frame of reference for everybody and then say, okay, where does this leave us? What does this do to our portfolio? What does it do or not do for our ability to invest? Is this an opportunity? I know the answer to that question, but let's let's talk about that and how it relates to us. I think as it relates to us, and we've, we've talked about it a lot this year, is it just gives us opportunities. It gives us opportunities to to add to existing positions. It gives us opportunities to take initial positions um, that some have been on our watch list for three, four, five years. Um, it also gives us opportunities to take some money off the table when you have some vicious bear market rallies. Um, and so it gives you opportunity on both sides to buy and to sell to position the portfolio. But more so than anything else, this is if you're trying to if you're trying to make long term, whether it be long term wealth or have long term positive returns, you want this market. You you want to be buying now. Maybe not today, but you want to start getting into this market. When there's opportunity. When there's opportunity. November a year ago was not the time. It felt like it was a much safer place November a year ago to the average person listening to this. But in reality, risk was never greater, right? Correct. <laughs> S&P and NASDAQ have since put in their all-time highs. But, there's, but, it, but also, would, to kind of bring it back to how we manage money here, is we're completely bottom up. So it does, I mean, yes, we've spent this entire time talking about the market, but we're not investing in the market. We have we have securities, we have positions today that are close to or near making all-time highs. And the S&P is down 20%. You've got huge companies in the NASDAQ that are down 60, 70, 80%. Yeah, that's... That's where I was going to go with the conversation when, when we were sitting there talking about the market just then is uh, we're not the market. You just said that. But, I mean, what's th- one of the reasons why it's been such a tough year, John, as you sort of started off this podcast, is you look at what has not been doing well. And it's what did so well in the decade up to where we are right now. I mean, Apple at this point has now been dead money for two years. I mean, it went up and down during that time period, but it's where it was two years ago. Same for Amazon and NVIDIA. Meta, gosh, I mean, that thing's just fallen off a cliff. It was a great stock for people to own for a long time, and now it's at the same level that it was in 2015. So, I mean, these pockets that led to the market that we're in now, which was leadership from those mega cap growth names, that's where the pain has been felt. The bond market, which has just been on a 30-year tear since Volcker, basically, right? That's where the pain has been. I think long-dated treasuries are down more than the NASDAQ is this year. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's crazy. But that's why it's been such a tough year when you're sitting there looking at the index because the index got so full of these mega cap growth names and you've seen the air come out of that balloon. So, I would point out to the listener that we certainly are down as well. We are directionally influenced by the market, but we don't behave like the market 
And if you are concerned about your investments, I encourage you to just look at your statement, <laughs> uh, assuming you're a tandem client or financial advisor using tandem for your clients, um, and you'll see that it's been a different experience. Is that a fair way to phrase it? Yeah, absolutely. less volatile experience. Right. For sure, right? Right. So we've seen opportunity to add names. Um, we've seen opportunity to add to existing names. I think over the last 12 months, we've added something like 13 new companies. Just to, the, to large cap. Just to large mm-hmm. cap. Has it been more to, mm-hmm. to yeah, mid and equity? To mid and, I mean, just in aggregate across all of our holdings. It's, mm-hmm. So it's talk more a, than that. To, to walk the listener through that process, how something suddenly becomes in our portfolio. Did we just become aware of it? Um, did it do something differently that made us like it? Is there something about it that we want to participate in? Why, why did new names all of a sudden make it into the portfolio like that? So for a lot of these, and Billy touched on it earlier, I mean, it's names that are coming off our watch list that have been on it for three, four, five years. So they're names So they're that, not new to us. Right. They're not new to us. They're names that we've been following. They're names that have passed the smell test basically for a couple of years now. But what didn't align for us and for these stocks was their valuation. And this market has given us that opportunity. Valuations within some of these names has come back to a point at which our model tells us it's attractive to begin building a position. And so that's really what you've seen. Billy and I were having a conversation with somebody just today, actually. They were asking us about some of the names that we've added to the portfolio and asked what we were most excited about. And we both just sort of smiled and laughed and said, I don't think that we really think that way in terms of picking one name. Opportunity, right? right. What is really exciting for us has been the opportunity this year. Adding 13 new names to the portfolio has been exciting. Removing the three that no longer meet our criteria because they fail to consistently grow at this point, that's exciting to us. It's less about this stock or that stock and more just about opportunity in general, I think. I I think that's right. Um, I wonder if we could just talk for a minute about when we identify a new name, what that process looks like. Because we're not just trying to pick the bottom, right? We're not making a statement that all of a sudden XYZ is at the magic price. So walk us through that process of building a position rather than just buying a complete one and, and how we do that. You no, know, it, it is a process and it you know, we're typically to fill out a full position where it's 3% of a portfolio, roughly. Um, you know, you're, we're buying it five or six times, usually in 50 basis point increments. Um, so it is a process. Typically that first purchase, I don't know if I've ever seen that first purchase be the best purchase. Um, it typically is. I can remember when we only made one purchase yeah. because it ran <laughs> ran away from us, and we never got yeah, another we, bite of the few, apple. We, right? We've had a few of those, but it definitely happens. Um, but, but we don't pretend to know the best. But price. it's 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 not about that. It's about about scaling in, um, and in in doing so in a in a in a thoughtful way, um, and not taking too much risk at at the outset, and especially with a market that's so volatile as it is. I mean, it's giving you opportunities to take multiple bites. And it depends some on strength of signal basically coming out of each stock, right? I mean, something that is uh, more extremely undervalued will probably be filled out more quickly than something that's just 
significantly undervalued, right? I guess in that sense, extreme is more a stronger word than significant, but, but you guys get the point. It, it depends on each name in terms of the speed. Would it be fair to say, for those folks that have been with us for a while, that we're doing the same thing, um, sort of in the opposite direction, that we did in 2017 and 2019 and 2021, where in those environments, the opportunities were to take some money off the table. We weren't doing it in big chunks. We were incremental sellers of individual companies that, that by our math, were unsustainably overvalued. And now, and, and we didn't have anywhere to put those proceeds, so cash accumulated in the portfolio. Now cash is substantially reduced in all three of our strategies, right? And we have been incremental adders in many cases to the names that we were incremental subtractors, if that's a word, uh, in, in previous markets, right? So it's the same process. They're just seeing it play out in reverse now, mm-hmm. right? You've seen it play out in reverse. You're seeing it played out in reverse month by month. Mm-hmm. I mean, in August, when we we were doing this podcast, we were talking about a new, whether or not we were in a new bull market. That's th- just because th- you got back from Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I think that, that bull market peaked the next day or or the the day after, um, and it went on to fall another twenty percent. And since then, it's gone up another ten percent. Um, so depending on where you are, I mean, you've you've seen even this year us take money off the table, put money to work. It's just happening a lot quicker. Um, Is this market timing? No, no, it's just coincidental. That it goes that way, right? I mean, mm-hmm. John, you said it earlier. We, we can be directionally influenced by the market. If the market's up two to three percent one day or ten percent one week, chances are most stocks probably are up like that as well. So you can get opportunity that uh, sort of coincides with market peaks and market troughs. But you even look back to this time last year. I mean, a year ago, we were starting to fill out mm-hmm. some new names into the portfolio. That was before the S and P five hundred had even peaked. Uh, this year, as markets were sort of struggling in June, we had the opportunity to get out of some names mm-hmm. altogether. So it's not market timing because we do it bottom up. So everything is done stock by stock. Sometimes our stocks bottom with the market. Right. Sometimes our stocks bottom before the markets. Sometimes our stocks bottom after the market, right? That's the I was just getting ready bottom up. to mm-hmm. quote you because I heard you the other day on a phone call say the same thing. <laughs> Directionally influenced, but markets bottom when they bottom. Companies bottom when they bottom. They might fall more. They might fall less. They might not fall at all, right? Companies are not the market, right? Mm -hmm. That's a good point. So this is not trading activity for the sake of trading. And when we talk about buying low and selling high, we're not talking about liquidating a position because it's expensive and then going all into a position because it's cheap. These are incremental things. We would never sell a company based on valuation, liquidate a company based on valuation, right? We liquidate because... No longer fundamentally meets our criteria. No longer growing earnings through any economic If it's just overvalued, we're just reducing our exposure to it, right? Correct. And if it's undervalued, we're adding our exposure to it. We're taking on risk when it's advantageous to do so and, and reducing risk when 
when it seems appropriate to do so, right? Which in the moment may cause some head scratching out there in, in podcast land because we are selling when things appear to be working, right? A year ago, it felt to most like there was less risk because everything seemed to be working. Now, as we're putting money to work, it might be a little frightening because it feels riskier, yet we're here to say there's there's more opportunity today than there was a year ago. Correct. Is that- yeah, that's fair. I think your point that each name behaves individually, I don't think that we can stress that enough. I mean, of those 13 names that we've added to the portfolio over the last year in large cap, there's some that we're still building out today that we are still buyers of. There's others that we've bought within the last 13 months that we've already actually trimmed, right, for valuation purposes. Mm-hmm. So even within the names that we've added in the last 12 to 13 months, mm-hmm. you've seen a lot of variety sort of in terms of the way they've performed. And even before that, I mean, at the depths of the COVID sell-off in in March of 2020, I mean, we had an opportunity to sell a stock in the portfolio mm-hmm. that was, I believe, hitting a, a, at least a 52-week high or an all-time high at the time. Um, so it truly is on a stock price. The stock that you're talking about hasn't even seen that price since, <laughs> since then. Yeah, so it is on a stock-by-stock basis when the opportunity arises. So, guys, I think this is fun. Um, I certainly enjoy this. I enjoy having a conversation. Listener, I hope this is fun for you because truly it's just the four of us sitting around a round table um, for the first time with microphones in our face. That's a little different, isn't it? Um, But hey, we're up in our game. Um, Before we go, uh, this was sort of a concentrated conversation. And if you don't have anything to add or if you don't want the listener to leave with something specific that we haven't already discussed, that's, that's fine. But have we, have we covered what you want to leave the listener with or is there something you would like to add to that? Anybody feel strongly about it? I don't have anything. Um, I, think, I think more than anything, uh, again, follow the path of interest rates. It might not be... And that might not be what's on people's mind or people might want to move on past it. Um, in fact, higher interest rates are giving us a, an ability to make a little bit extra on cash. We can go into that. But, um, you know, it's, it's... Go ahead and it's, touch on that. We, we have had the ability to, to increase our return on the cash portion of the portfolio. Some firms that we do business with are offering higher rates now on their money market portfolio on their money market and others on their are bank deposit and others are allowing us to trade roll over T-bills which is what we did in 2018 um, to earn a little bit of extra yield so the higher interest rates are it's it's not an all it's not all a bad thing it's a bad thing if you want to go out and get a new car um, <laughs> I mean interest rates are I think I think I less all that <laughs> or, new house. <laughs> or new house um, it's like seven and a half eight percent on a, on a new car it's crazy um but uh, but no, I think you follow the path of interest rates, um, and that'll lead. To, I I do think it's it's just going to continue the the volatility that we've seen through this through this year. Yeah, I'd say follow the path of interest rates and the dollar. Anytime you've seen throughout the entire year, or really since last November, which is when we've sort of all talked about that regime change, you've seen yields weaken and the dollar weaken. You've seen equities rally. Anytime you've seen yield surge and you've seen the dollar strengthen, 
you've seen equities falter. And that chain, at least at this point, still hasn't really been broken. Those things all remain highly correlated. And until that changes, until that regime is over, that's going to tell you where things are heading or why they're heading in those directions. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with all of it. I think, you know, the Fed is going to stand stand tough and keep rates higher. And unfortunately, you know, we're seeing rolling layoffs and the housing market really cool. But that is almost what the Fed wants to see, right? Their goal is to crush demand to bring inflation down. So I think, you know, you might see some pain for the real economy ahead, but the Fed, that's actually playing into the Fed's playbook, right? We need to see that to get inflation down. Um, yeah. I think those are great comments. I would like to just sort of conclude by saying this. I have um, been around to see rising rates, which means I'm really old. But um, it's, it's a tough environment for equities. I don't think you see uh, easily, readily, 20 and 30 percent years uh, up years for the S&P 500 like we have over the last decade plus. I think it's a little harder. It doesn't mean it's catastrophic. It just means expectations should probably be lowered a little bit, not to make it easier on us. I'm just being realistic about how difficult it is in the face of rising rates because there's somebody out there listening to this. They're going to think, do I really want to own everything I presently own or would I feel better having that bank deposit over again, mm-hmm. like I used to do, you know, way back in the good old days. And so there is competition for equity dollars in a rising rate environment, right? I that's, think that's... That's a great point. I have a brother that works for a bank, and all he does right now is CDs. Everybody wants to know about their CD program, and so I think that you're spot on. Yeah, and, and so that doesn't make it a, a dismal equity environment, mm-hmm. but... But it's no longer the only game in town in a rising rate world. There is competition for those investment dollars, right? The other thing I want to point out is that markets do not fall in a straight line, although they tend to fall in a straighter line (laughs) than they tend to rise in. And markets don't rise in a straight line. And no matter what this economy and this market brings us, this isn't awful. Your three, five, ten-year returns are still, they ought to be good enough for you to reach whatever goals you have as an investor. And so don't be put off by this hiccup, no matter how gut-wrenching it might be. I would just tell investors, if you are truly, if you belong in the stock market, now I can't speak to that, maybe you don't, but if you do, Markets don't move in a straight line. They go up and they go down. And when they go down, it's scary, but that's opportunity. And when they go up, it might be gratifying, but that's opportunity, too, to reduce a little exposure and prepare for this. And and that's what we're here to try to do, right? This is a great time to set yourself up for the long term. It really yeah. is. These but are opportunities. If you're trying to, if you need cash in the next three months, six months, it's not the, right. the place to be, right? But for something that you can look out past a year, two years, absolutely. If you are an investor, mm-hmm. correct, this is an opportunity, yeah. right? Yeah, the seeds of wealth are planted in a bear market and harvested in a bull market. 
Okay, Warren, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's well said. That's well said. Um, in conclusion, I think I just want to remind everybody that um, this is here for your benefit. We're trying to share how we view things. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're just trying to let you have a glimpse into how we approach managing portfolios. We produce content. Ben Carew happens to write a a bi-monthly piece called Notes from the Trading Desk. It's available on our website in digital and audio form. Billy Little writes a monthly piece called Observations. It's available on our website in digital and audio form. I write, with help from others around this table from time to time, a quarterly piece called The Tandem Report. It's available on our website in digital and audio form. It's there for you to gain a better understanding of what we're doing, why we're doing it in the moment. Um, This is how we've always done it. We are 32 years old as a firm. Um, I'm not, but the firm (laughs) is. Uh, And so we try to put this out here to be helpful to you. Um, With that, I just want to, again, acknowledge Elaine Natoli, our Director of Communications and the brainchild behind this podcast. This is our 10th episode, which means we've been doing this for two and a half years. We'll be back with you in Q1 of 2023. Happy holidays, happy new year, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, everybody. Tandem Talk is hosted by Tandem's investment team of John Carew, Billy Little, Ben Carew, and Jordan Watson. Tandem Talk is co-produced by Elaine Natoli, Julia Hoffman, and Lindsay Collins with LMC Sound System. Nothing contained in this podcast should be construed as recommendation to buy or sell any security, nor construed as financial or investment advice. Tandem Investment Advisors Incorporated does not represent that the securities, products, or services discussed on this podcast are suitable for any particular investor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please consult your financial advisor before making any investment decisions. All past portfolio purchases and sales are available upon request.